Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Momenta Edge podcast. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momenta. And today we have two special guests, uh, Bonnie Lind, who's VP of Business Development for Patheon, and Trevor Kerwin, VP of Energy Markets for GreenSpark. And uh, Bonnie and Trevor, I both had the pleasure of of getting to know them in uh, a couple of events and, and on a panel at IoT Solutions World recently in Barcelona. Uh, they were so interesting. The dialogue was uh, uh, fascinating. Um, so we decided to invite both of you guys on. And, and I, I want to thank you. Uh, thank you both for, for taking the time. Thanks. This is great. Awesome. So first first off, I'll, we'll just start with Bonnie. I, I'd like to just get each of you to, to share a bit of uh, a bit of your background and to provide some context and, and really what has led you to focus on you know, clean energy and clean energy technologies. And we'll start with Bonnie first. Sure. So um, I guess I knew pretty well what I wanted to do early on. I actually, my, my degree is in, in earth systems from Stanford. Um, so I started in the, the clean energy sustainability side all the way in college. Um Ended up working in Europe on the finance side of energy um, for a number of years. And at the time, obviously, Europe was significantly further in front of the U.S. Uh, in terms of incorporation of renewables. And when I finally got too cold in London and moved back home to California, um, kept going with that process. Um, so I moved from the finance side to the utility side, um, working for Southern California Edison, which was fantastic and really gave me a good sense of how utilities look at and experience and or value different products. Um, and then after that, ended up working with First Wind, um, which built, owned, and operated uh, a $2.4 billion wind portfolio, um, at which point in time we did the first wind farm in New England, the first one on a Superfund site, and the first one with a utility-scale battery. Um, and it was tremendously interesting. Um, and allowed me the opportunity to go work with the governor of Nevada, Governor Sandoval, um, to look at energy and sustainability as an economic driver for the state of Nevada um, for the next four years, and, and did that including the Tesla Gigafactory, which was a tremendous impact on the state. Um, and since then, I have moved more into the distributed side, um, as and now I'm doing more of the solar and storage and integration of distributed energy resources into the market and how do we continue this transition from kind of an older hub and spoke model into a more distributed model moving forward. That's awesome. And Trevor, what, what about your background? Thanks. Uh, it, my background's a little, uh, uh, a, a, a little more of an odd trip than uh, Bonnie's, I think. Uh, I actually came to this from finance. I've worked uh, in New York uh, for uh, first for CIBC World Markets and then uh, Bank of America uh, on the alternative investment side on hedge funds, um, and got to know the the investor community that way. Um, actually, went to work for a hedge fund directly, uh, and wanted to you know took that experience and said, hey, I'd like to apply. You know, it's, it's a very interesting world uh, uh, for, around alternative investments. Um, but primarily, I was working for a long short hedge fund, uh, and or with long short hedge funds, and I kind of wanted to do something that was a little bit more personally interesting to me. So I've always had a bit of an environmental bent. Started hearing about carbon markets and environmental commodity markets. Wanted to figure out how to mesh these two worlds together. Um, reached out to a, a few colleagues of mine uh, from the alternative investment community. I had moved from New York to San Francisco at that point. Uh, to uh, some friends from the, the alternative investment community out here in San Francisco. And we've been looking at um, kind of this space collectively as well. One of them was working with a, uh, a firm doing asset management and trading uh, in the uh, electricity markets in California. Um, realized right away there was no real future for a carbon market. Uh, that, this was, you know, mid-early 2000s. It uh, wasn't much of a future in a carbon market, I didn't think, for a while in, uh, in North America. But it was very interesting to see 
renewable portfolio standards and how they were driving development of uh, utility scale uh, energy generation in uh, in the North American grids. So I got involved in uh, in asset management and electricity trading around that, or, and renewable attributes as well, uh, racks as well around that. Um, went to uh, work for actually made a round trip back to the east coast of Canada, where I'm from, to Nova Scotia, to work as an energy trader and asset manager at Amira Energy, uh, which is the you know, uh, subsidiary of the parent company, Nova Scotia Power, very typical sort of model in this space of a regulated utility having an unregulated uh, arm that's working uh, in other markets. Looked at, uh, realized that a lot of what I was seeing really early on, uh, kind of like what Bonnie mentioned, a lot of what I was seeing really early on uh, in renewables was to me less interesting about utility scale stuff and more about how these technologies could change um, at the distributed end of, uh, uh, of, of power asset, either power asset management or provision of uh, <laughs> provision of power to uh, folks at the end of the uh, at the end of the grid, and so a lot of distributed how distributed storage is going to play. It's very early days for a lot of this technology. Um, but that, to me, I said, okay, this is going to be the thing that's going to be disruptive. Last two or three years have been spent focused on IoT um, and, uh, and distributed storage as well. But to me, even IoT or a lot of the smart city stuff you're seeing too are really all just distributed networks plays. So mm. we're starting to see a lot of stuff come to fruition. So it's a really interesting time. Well, that's really interesting, and I, I, I didn't realize that you also uh, worked at CIBC World Markets. That's that's where I uh, started on Wall Street. So we'll, uh, we'll 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 table that conversation for a little later. But that's yes. uh, that's that's very very cool to hear. Um, and next, I'd like to have each of you talk about what your companies are doing and provide a bit of the background and the really just the the you know the quick thumbnail on you know what what your the problem your companies are solving and uh, you know the the areas in the industry are focused and we'll, and we'll start with Bonnie on Patheon Sure. So uh, Patheon is an energy solutions company. Um, and in particular, what I love about Patheon is our energy management system that can coordinate with various different types of generation resources and um, energy storage systems. Um, and in particular, how we are integrating with the grid. So um, I would say technologies like Patheons are what is going to take things like distributed solar and rooftop solar from being a very annoying 8 to 10 percent of the generation portfolio, um, or at least annoying to the utilities, to really being an integral part of the utility model and the new energy model, um, where it can be a proper 30, 40 percent of, of, of the electricity being provided. Um, and what I love about Patheon is it's built for um, incorporation of multiple technologies. We can incorporate old solar panels, new solar panels, um, different chemistry into our systems. So what I love is it's built for a long, for a, a proper 20-year or 30-year development cycle that matches more of your traditional utility scale um, asset and, and financial commitment um, with the ability to upgrade and, and consistently, you know, adjust for new FERC regulations or other energy markets. Um, and the neat part about it is, is we are looking very much at grid services and how do you take distributed assets and incorporate them into the grid to, so that they're providing ancillary services such as frequency response or voltage control um, and really improving power quality and at the same time providing control and visibility to the utilities at the same time. Who, who, are, your, who are your typical cust customers? So we do, sorry, we do predominantly CNI. Um, we do do some utility scale, but we do a lot of microgrids. We do CNI, um, and in particular, are working with um, some of the. Um, community choice aggregators here in California around different opportunities to work with that, um, oh. around providing local resilience and local um, RA, so that we are doing a lot of, we can work with a lot of different entities. Also, industrial customers make a lot of sense. Um, our EMS, uh, through a DC coupling structure, also supports all the power quality behind the meter. Um, so we support and protect all of the equipment that we are connected to, as well as having a strong grid resilience. So. We say that we manage from from cell to the grid. 
That's uh, that's that's a lot to unpack there. So I will definitely want to <laughs> definitely want to come back to that. It's it's uh, you know a, a rich a rich array of uh, of, of capabilities and and uh, technology challenges as well. And now, Trevor, tell us a bit about uh, what what about GreenSpark and and you know what you guys are doing. Sure. the The core of GreenSpark we launched GreenSpark a few years ago. Uh, the first product, uh, the first thing we were really trying to do was take um, real-time energy data. Uh, and for us, uh, that has an entirely different meaning. Uh, for Bonnie and I, that has an entirely different meaning than, say, the average <laughs> energy user is used to. Uh, so we knew that there was a disconnect between what people were seeing in terms of their energy uh, composition and, uh, and use uh, information and what we knew about it. So take a large Fortune 100 company, they want to have a 100% renewable energy goal. Well, we could give them, and, and usually how they will handle that is, okay, we consume this much electricity in operations over the last 12 months. Um, we bought uh, wind energy in a renewable portfolio or in, a, uh, you know, in a, an agreement, whatever it may look like, with a wind farm or with a provider of green energy to cover that, or we bought RECs, or we, you know, whether they've entered a peak, uh, power purchase agreement or whether they bought just the RECs in the open market to say, oh, I've offset all of my energy use with that. Well, what we can do is give it to them in real time so that there's a potential, a pretty significant potential savings of money because they'll realize what the green composition is of their, their regular quote unquote power that they get right now. So for us, that became a, an analytics tool and a dashboard that we, that clients were originally interested in. Our next step, though, was that when we would approach power generators or either utilities in trying to understand how much of the grid, how much of a given load or megawatt use within a, uh, within a certain hour of a certain grid at a certain node was green or not, we got to talking to a lot of power plants. Again, we're asset managers and, and traders by, uh, by, by profession. So we know a lot of those people. Anyway, it's a very fragmented ownership market. Uh, and they said, well, hey, can you, can you actually find a way for somebody to buy more of my energy, buy more, more of my green energy? And that turned into, hey, with IoT, um, AI rollouts, uh, things like that, we said, oh, we can. And what we've started to do is how do we build distributed compute capacity actually at a power plant where immediately the savings is generally around 50% because I'm not transmitting the power. I'm actually sitting right beside the power plant. So we're building a distributed data grid that sits on top of the power grid. And the, you know, the data grid is actually a global thing where we can move data from around the world to virtually the speed of light. I can't move electricity around the world, um, even if the wires work that way. I couldn't actually move load without such significant losses that I can't do that. So it's a, it's a way to actually gain the power grid. And what we saw were, we're well, now we're involved in uh, launch, trying to launch our first project around building the first um, distributed data uh, center at a power plant. Great. So I'd like to just turn to some perspective of, you know, from your experience. Ten years ago, we had a, a, a big wave of, of investments in clean tech. Uh, a lot of people lost a lot of money, but there were a lot of projects that uh, that you know, some failed. I guess I, the one would say that there were there was mis, mixed success. But now uh, it, the environment is a lot different. Could you talk about um, you know this is for both of you some of the initial challenges early on in implementing clean power projects, whether whether wind or solar, uh, and, and and then some of the developments that have really paved the way for, uh, you know, more more realistic uh, adoption and more successful adoption of uh, of clean technologies. Just we're we're talking mostly on the generation side, but would, would love to get your perspective on the uh, sort of on the on the on, on the broad arc of uh, of evolution in the market. Trevor, you want to take a go? <laughs> uh, uh, sure. Um, around that, what I think you've seen over 10 years um, is, uh, you know, that, that original sort of land rush uh, of, uh, of, of new avalanche of new technologies. I can remember going to like Clean Tech Forum 
you know, 10 years ago. And, you know, we, we've settled out into the technologies that we actually know we can do either at grid scale and then what can actually work as a, um, as a more distributed technology. And the challenge there, of course, was, okay, that's great. You, if you build wind turbines, you're probably going to be okay. You do solar PV, okay, it's practically commoditized at this point. Who lost? Well, it's people like Solyndra would not have, you know, I'm not going to touch Solyndra's, you know, issues as far as it's, you know, the half billion dollar loan and, and how it got to be kind of a punching bag. But in that story is, hey, it's a really innovative piece of technology, but it turns out the use cases went from, you know, 80% of the market to 2% and I can't pay back a half billion dollar loan on 2% of the market. So, you know, and a lot of that kind of technology came and happened, realized it had a niche application. Okay, well, can you build that? Can you get a return on investment in that or not? I think 10 years later, we're now in a spot where some of those niche technologies, and I'm thinking like niche generation stuff, um, you know, in-pipe hydro, uh, you know, something that like, oh God, who cares about that? Or, you know, which is basically a run of river hydro, right? Okay, well, who's going to let me put that in their wastewater pipes? Well, it turns out as a, you know, as a distributed energy system, that can make more sense. Um, one of the things I think is, and it really much more applies to what I look at today, um, microgrids. Originally is a, okay, great. You know, it's, it's the mesh network. It's military education schools or and hospitals. I, Bonnie, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, but you had like a, a hospital campus that had a backup generator. And so they had their own little power grid. So if the, you know, if the, if grid power goes out for whatever reason, um, they could sustain their operations. Well, now I can move into a, now with a lot more interesting real-time analytics packages that can sit on top of that uh, and some of the other distributed technologies, whether it's something like what Bonnie's doing or, you know, any of the other storage ideas or small-scale power generation, whether it's wind or solar or, you know, uh, waste, uh, waste to energy projects, whatever it may happen to be, your little microgrid can now spread out and add a lot more resiliency to the overall grid. Um, and what that is far more interesting to me is, is that now you're getting into an area where um, the utilities are being challenged about how can you, if I can run 10 square, if I can run 10 city blocks of a grid, why not 100 or, or why not half a state? or whatever it may happen to be, right? So you're, you're basically, uh, you know, you're tying a bunch of power islands together. So to me, that, that that's what I'm seeing unlocked now that 10 years ago wasn't happening, was that the avalanche of big data to, uh, and to be able to analyze what's going on in your generation assets and in your distribution network and in your use, your load, uh, is really interesting. Well, that's that's uh, that's super helpful. I don't know, if, Bonnie, you have any any thoughts about the uh, you know the early projects that you were involved in in implementing and you know, what what sort of <laughs> challenges were uh, you faced that that were uh, that that may not be that may not exist today? Uh, did you uh, um, do you have any do you have any thoughts on that? Definitely. So so Trevor and I are, are very much in agreement on a lot of things. Um, and in particular, those early projects, I think as you've seen a greater push for, I don't know if deregulation is the right word, but more market structured um, energy ability and the ability for uh, more individual uh, control of your own destiny over over what your energy usage is. Um, and, and that really has paired with the, the big data and the ability to look at, see, and analyze things. The utilities used, used to really have be the only ones that had that visibility. It was too cost prohibitive for anybody else to come in and play. And I think that's, that's still um, definitely one of the issues you see um, from 10 years ago that continues today is kind of the, 
the timeframes on an infrastructure return or a large energy return as opposed to, you know, your traditional three to five year VC returns, um, that, that that mismatch is always a bit difficult. Um, but now that you've got the new AI, you've got the machine learning, you've got all of these pieces um, that have come down in price. You've seen the energy storage component come down so much. There's new technologies around that. Then I think it's the first time you've had this opening and the ability of the markets to be able to support additional pieces that weren't there before. Um, when the utility was the only one that saw everything, there wasn't that capability. I think you see it in sensors. I think you see it in the, the AI, the speed of the AI. Um, but for sure, when we were the first wind farm in New England, um, the ISO was, was and, and the utility we were connecting to was really challenged by, well, how do I know what you're gonna do? How are you gonna share the data? What time frame are you gonna share the data? What, what, what do I know? What do I not know? And it was a real balance to teach and get the utilities and or the, the markets to understand where do these different intermittent resources work? How can they participate to support the grid? Um, yes, if I go offline, you're, you're not going to die. How are, how are we going to make this work? Um, we used to joke about the chicken little phone calls on a regular basis. Um, and having been on the incorporation of technology into the grids for, for over 10 years now, um, to be fair to the utilities, they, they, they get to have a moment. Um, if you look at PG&E here in, in the Bay Area, they see three to 5,000 new solar systems every single month, and they have no visibility and no control over them. Those are all rooftop solar systems. Um, but I think there's a lot of changes in the microgrids, the AI, the control systems that you've seen with the incorporation of big data and this ability to shift to mesh networks is really opening up a lot of opportunities that didn't previously exist. Um, and I think the costs coming down have made such a difference. I remember the, the you know, the RECs and the different RPS structures that were absolutely critical um, in the early days of wind and storage that, you know, are really either through market adjustments and, and rate changes um, now are much more favorable and have made the market a real place where, where all of the different entities can participate. What are some technologies or notab notable uh, innovations that have, that have helped to integrate clean generation sources into uh, into an existing grid because it, it, it I mean it sounds like again like Trevor um, you, you guys are doing you're doing a lot of analytics on uh, sourcing you know where power comes from but have there been uh, specific innovations that have acted as a catalyst or or, or, or and that sort of a further question is you know how how different and how distinct are the systems for each utility to you know, systems from, from others, uh, you know, from if you're going from state to state or country to country? I think it a lot depends on the utility. Um, you, you have different entities that are um, much more progressive. You take uh, Green Mountain Energy up in Vermont or some of the other perhaps smaller Austin um, that are really engaged in how to shift their portfolio um, versus some of the older municipalities, Los Angeles Department of Water and Power just hasn't spent any money on infrastructure upgrades. Um, so a lot of their systems are just still from the, you know, the 70s and the 80s. Um, and they haven't been driven to do any of that innovation and that change. Um, so I would say that, interestingly enough, places like India and some of the new um, the new development around energy are going to, similar to kind of the telephone structure of skipping the wire structure and shifting straight to a mobile technology, I think a lot of places um, internationally, you're going to start seeing the microgrid structure and you're going to see the growth of the microgrid structure or smaller, more regional componentry that, that is able to support um and I do think the evolution of the ISOs and the ability and the desire to incorporate the new technologies has created a, a, a new window that wasn't there previously. Mm. Yeah, Trevor, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, you know, it, it, uh, uh, Bonnie is right as usual. Uh, the uh, uh, one of the I, I, I've been very fortunate over the last two years to to be back and forth uh, to China. Uh, when you see you know, you, the idea that we often have here in in, uh, in North America, or particularly here in Silicon Valley, about oh well, 
you know, yeah, they're sure there's massive infrastructure building in China. Um, you know, is it real? Is it not real? Uh, uh, first off, I don't think we really truly can grasp uh, until you go there to grasp the movement of humanity that's happening from the from rural areas to urban. But I was recently just over there toward a new, um, uh, uh, basically a, the city of Xi'an. They're building a place called Xixian next to it, basically New Xi'an. Um, that is, you know, not just amazing in that fact, but they've looked all of the stuff that I looked at in the last 10 years, or if you've gone to any clean tech conference from like 2007 to 2010, let's say, all of the ideas we had about how those distributed systems, whether it was water, wastewater management, energy collection, all of the things that we thought about, they are deploying. And, and in a modular system where the you know you can see how they can add neighborhoods as basically as small small microgrids and tie those power islands back together into a real grid. Uh, I you know I see some innovation. I see a lot of innovation uh, technology wise in this country and in in North America and the West and a lot of uh, uh, you know increasingly the involvement of. Uh, everybody else in the enterprise big data space, you know, from Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Oracle, whatever, insert name here, uh, in, in, you know, analytics and trying to gather that information. Where I get bearish about this uh, world is that I, I just don't think that there are some, certainly some innovative utilities. I just don't think the, the utility business model will work. And it's very hard. It's just, it's, it's, it's no one's fault. It's, you know, you drag a shark on the land and ask it to run a marathon. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it's just, it's very hard within the way that their structure works. So you're going to see some innovation in how utilities are structured or how power markets more likely as we envision them right now will be structured or how grid management will be structured. In other words, should there be, you know, five different ISOs and a bunch of RTOs and a bunch of areas that a utility runs, or should it look like the um, uh, the air traffic control system? Um, Canada has an innovative way to run its air traffic control system. It's a not-for-profit entity that the airlines and the airports and general aviation users pay into, and you see it in your ticket prices, right? Um, it, and it's a much, it, it, it's, it's a very effective system that can get you from one end of the country to the other or out of the country. And I, you know, I see the same kind of thing happening. Uh, that to me makes a lot of sense as a model for to get the to tie the ISOs together. Um, but then, then you're left with the question: Well, what does the utility do? They're not providing reliance. They're not providing energy. They don't build power plants. Uh, so what what's their role in that? And uh, that's going to be the challenge uh, of how that devolves. So I'm not marking down the idea that all those wires. Are worth maintaining. They certainly are, but let's be honest about the age of that infrastructure and what needs to be invested in it for us to, you know, move on to the next century. Yeah, you're getting to you. You just touched on a, a point that's so critical, and I think we were, uh, we 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 discussed this previously that when you have a. Uh, a change in how the in, in the source of energy that does change a lot of the dynamics of uh, well I mean the, when the economics change when you don't have oil taxes or gasoline taxes uh, they go into municipalities when if utilities that have been you know re regulated if they are they're seeing their models change you know what do you see as as first of all key pressure points who's who's getting pressured and uh, are there opportunities uh, that you see for you know for different players to come into the market or, you know, other, uh, uh, or will there need to be, you know, other t approaches such as what they're doing in Canada, uh, where there may be national legislation or different types of taxes to offset the, uh, you know, the lack of a viable business model for the, for the utilities. And I know that's a big question, but, <laughs> but you can you can you can you can you can uh, you can chip that's at the it. Dissertation. Any, yeah, you can uh, you you can chip at it any way you want. You you want to go ahead, buddy? Or? Sure. Uh, 
I, I think one of the critical things that we perhaps aren't discussing uh, as well is is that the utilities always want to be the tenth or the twelfth mover, um, and that's because they are the system. You know, they 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 are the provider of last resort, um, and it's a structure of how do we look at the different opportunities, the new technologies, the new energy systems that are coming into play, and mirror that with the absolutely risk averse provider of last resort aspect. Um, and and the utilities have been the provider of last resort. They've never been incentivized for incorporating new technology. Um, they've never been incentivized to do things other than spend a lot of money. I mean, the, the rate of return is all on the capital expenditures. Um, so they've not been incentivized in good ways to look at new opportunities to incorporate things. So. One of the things Trevor mentioned before around modular components um, and something perhaps that's either at a national level or even at a regional level that would make a lot of sense is creating better testing grounds and modular um, opportunities for new pilot projects or demonstration and testing in new projects. I think one of the things that I see, especially at Pathion, but but have, you know, since I was doing wind, um, is that by the time the utilities build a protocol to um, allow you to participate or to even start a pilot process, the original component that you're, you know, or the original uh, ability that you're demonstrating is four years out of date. Um, I think what you can see in particular around Rule 21 inverters in California is a great example of that. So Rule 21 was coming around, everybody knew it was coming. We still, you know, they're just rolling it out and, you know, everybody's three or four more capabilities down the road at this point in time. So how do we do a better job of giving them, you know, some kind of an ability to do new protocols, new testing grounds, something like that, because the utilities are getting pushed really hard. They're moving faster than they've ever moved. And for all of the, us on the technology side, we can't believe how slowly they're moving because it takes three years to get, you know, a grant put together or a pilot project put together. And by the time you're done demonstrating the pilot project, that technology is five years out of date and not worth anything anymore. It, it, Bonnie, again, is at the nail head. You know, it, and it's easy for us to out here in Silicon Valley to, um, to you know, we marinate in this innovation culture, uh, and and you know, it's very easy to uh, lose sight of. Uh, uh, you know, how deployable a lot of these technologies are when you're swimming in cheap capital. Um, so with, you know, there will be, uh, there will be winners and losers. No one likes to talk about being a loser. Um, but I find that the, the companies that I see doing the, the, the people that I see trying to spur the innovation in some kind of way, I, I, and, and I'm a mentor with a couple of accelerator programs here. And the thing that I, to me is missing in the energy space or the electricity space that is happening in other, like I know some great AI labs. I know some great telecommunications labs. I know a lot of people are like, oh, what's the next generation of this old technology or this old mindset? What is missing in energy uh, for electricity is across the, uh, um, across verticals. So I don't just want to go tell a, um, a, a utility an old an old line utility, how to be innovative because I know the problems that they have with paying for innovation or investing in innovation. And what is dangerous, I guess, for those utilities is that we'll sort this out. I feel a little bit like the innovation world that's on is on its third date with the utilities. I'm like, okay, where is this going? Um, because you say, you know, you like this. You say, oh, you've hired a chief of innovation. That's great. Um, I don't see you actually deploying any of this technology. It, it, they're starting to build around it. And if you think that it, uh, you know, my advice would be, I don't know who will be listening to this podcast, but uh, as a guy who sees that third date happening, I look at it and say, well, you know, hey, who's the other people that you could be seeing that will do the, that have some kind of finger on the pulse of, or, or a finger on the pulse of a giant, interest in uh infrastructure uh you know so is it the wireless carriers is it you know should verizon or at&t uh be in the energy business in some fashion and they already are because they're transmitting a lot of 
real-time energy data and the utilities don't own power plants anymore, nor does Verizon or, or AT&T. Okay, so what's, again, what's the model that will actually make that work? And, and who's better equipped to invest in the innovation that's going to have to happen? I mean, if you wanted the next billion-dollar idea, uh, to me, somebody who can come along and say, hey, I've got a great way to, uh, to transmit uh, – wirelessly transmit energy across the city block safely, okay, well, you've taken away the last thing that utilities have, which is controlling the distributed end of the, of the wires. So, I mean, that to me is a very innovative thing that could happen. Like to Bonnie's point, if you're, you're building around, um, you know, Africa, uh, a lot of Asia went straight from landline phones to mobile and has utterly changed the way that they do business and interact, not just because everybody's got a cheap cell phone, but that thing has rebuilt a network around um, uh, around the old one that didn't really work all that well. Utilities are very much in danger of that happening. I think. Well, and you bring up an interesting point too, which is the uh, you know this this opportunity for new business models to emerge. And Bonnie, you were talking about microgrids getting traction in parts of the world where essentially you're you're doing a you're you're leapfrogging generations of technology because you don't have to you don't need that backward compatibility with existing infrastructure. Um, you know, are there uh, you know what kind of opportunities are there for for new you know, new types of, of, of players to emerge um, and build businesses out, out of microgrids. So I think there's a real opportunity for that. And that's actually one of the things that Pathion does and, and <laughs> very well. Um, one of the things that we are seeing as a driver is all of the Superstorm Sandy. It's been a hurricane. It's been fires in California. It's all the different national natural disasters. Um, that what's really interesting is we're actually having a lot of home builders and community development entities come up and talk to us about it from from two perspectives. One is um, a lot of these communities want to be green or something, but what they really want is instead of putting a natural gas, you know, backup power that's only affordable at huge homes or something like that, we're looking instead at can these communities have their own resilience? Um, and if we do a community level solar plus storage or solar and wind and other structures plus storage, um, what does that allow? If nothing else, for it allows an HOA to have the lights on and somebody to be able to come and take a hot shower and get a hot meal, um, charge their cell phone, all of those sorts of things. Um, you know, think about mountain communities uh, that have problems with with wires during the winter um, or resilience after Superstorm Sandy. And part of where we're seeing is some funds coming out of Homeland Security around government entities and emergency services being supported through it. And it's it's very much been a driver from our side of the world, both on a homeowners and, hey, wouldn't you want to buy a house that's got backup power that if, you know, the next hurricane comes through, your power is going to stay on? Um, but then the flip side of it is is making sure that government services and emergency services are always available. Um, and there's some, some funds that are starting to be available on that side. And why wouldn't you support the airport, the police, the fire, and probably your, you know, you kind of your main critical city functions to ensure that no matter what happens, if there's an ice storm or anything else, that, that your community is supported and functioning. Um, and now that the AI is there to be able to support it, um, it's a it's a real opportunity for people to um, kind of take one foot off the grid, not be fully off grid, but but take one step off the off and and be resilient um, without cutting ties. Yeah, and Bonnie is uh, that's again the, this is the resiliency as a selling point um, uh, in new development. I, I mean, it, I, if everybody's familiar with the the last the climate assessment that kind of got buried last Friday. Um, the things that we see out here, whether it is the, you know, the, the disaster of the wildfires here in Northern California or Hurricane Sandy or, or whatever the, these more prolonged and, and difficult spells of, of weather uh, that we get because of that, this is the thing I think you're going to see. This is where I think you're going to see the scale of infrastructure development really happen around this type of resiliency. If somebody were to come to me tomorrow and say, 
okay, um, you know, Congress changes hands in January and we're going to, you know, we're going to start talking about infrastructure week every week again. If the, if somebody would ask me like, well, what do you do for infrastructure? That'd be the thing I would tell you to do. Cause frankly, it's almost impossible for me to do something with power lines in Northern California to keep the campfire from happening again. And again, it's not, in that sense, it's not PG&E's fault or the incumbent utility's fault. It's power lines and it's trees. Uh, it's If you want power at all, you need to do that. But what's the thing that can say, okay, when something bad happens, what's the, the best way to make sure that we can maintain, um, you know, critical systems and critical infrastructure, but also to, uh, you know, how do we make that safer going forward? And how do we make the system a, a lot more, you know, able to stand up after something like that again? And, and so that to me is the, uh, um, the it's going to be all about resiliency, I think, uh, as a selling point for the next 10 years. No, that's that, that's a great point. And, and as a resident of New Jersey, we've lost power, I would say, every Every two to three years, we have a storm that comes through and, and knocks our power out, and and it's uh, you know all all over it, it, all over our our neighborhood. We've got you know big trees and, and and power lines, and there's just there's 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 no easy way around it. Um, I I do have a, a, a question about. Uh, and I'll just say oh, real quick sorry. that we 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 call it energy independence and not just response uh, to climate change. Yeah, it's a lot of energy independence. Everybody wants to stand on their own two feet and be able to support their communities. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, we, and, and as we saw in, in Puerto Rico, having such a uh, uh, an antiquated infrastructure, I mean, the the damage that a storm can do is just can be just horrific. So uh, no doubt that independence and, and being on a on a network of or having distributed networks is is critical for for security. Um, what are some of the challenges of, of bringing on uh, electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles as a, uh, as a new source of demand and uh, potentially you know, a different uh, shape to the, uh, to the, to the load on, on a daily basis? Um, if, and if you look at that, and, and also, uh, Trevor, I know you work with data centers. What, what, are, what are some of the some of the challenges and considerations uh, when in, in moving to a more distributed uh, paradigm when when we're incorporating these uh, these additional demand uh, or sources of demand for electricity? I would say that uh, that's actually it's it's a really good point that when I'm sorry and I kind of meant to mention that if you think about who in the future, um, you know, aside from talking to the wireless companies or something like that, the people managing um, and I don't know uh, maybe aside from Tesla, somebody's had a holistic enough approach uh, to say, you know, Elon Musk being Elon Musk, I, he was really trying to run an energy company that ha happens to have some very sexy appliances. Uh, I, you know, if you think about that, though, as a distributed system, you have that kind of, uh, you have a rolling, if, I mean, I don't know, I couldn't tell you the math around how many assets you need to, to have uh, that kind of resiliency. But if you think about if I'm able to charge on the fly and discharge on the fly, so a, 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 a you know, Tesla 3 is moving at, uh, highway speed down 280 here in, in in the Bay Area. Not only and, and I noticed you've got a you know a, a 500 mile charge. Um, if you let me suck out 200 miles of that at peak energy use, I'll give you a dollar or five dollars or whatever it is. Uh, like that kind of uh, that that kind of uh, network effect, I think is going to be. Really interesting, and you know, Bonnie can speak more to that as a, as, you know, as a storage play. Really, is what that is. I, I, I think that those kind of those kind of assets, uh, we haven't really figured it out yet. And autonomous vehicles, as far as the autonomous vehicles go, well, you just saw the announcement from GM this week. Um, look, I think a lot of that is a labor play, but I also think that the people who work in the transmission plants, the two transmission plants involved, should really be nervous because, frankly, EVs don't need that technology. And autonomous vehicles are all going to be EVs. Uh, 
there's no reason why if I'm operating a fleet of autonomous vehicles, why I'd want them to have to go to a gas station somewhere. Um, it's, it, it, those two things are going to collide. So that is something that is goosing that number of those assets available. Now, for the utilities, they look at that and say, oh, well, that's load. We know load. And we've had all this departing load because of rooftop solar efficiency, whatever it is. Let us do that. Well, I, I don't know if that is uh, if, if that's the best way to consider that or use that. Right? I, I don't know what the the structure should be within a city uh, or uh, you know or, or a campus or whatever it is to be able to best enable that technology. I don't think we've proven that out yet. Um, but it but that and as well that also those vehicles generate an enormous amount of data. So what am I doing to move data processing closer to where they can work? So that's also another drain we don't think about. We think about the cars operating as electric vehicles autonomously. We don't think about the data centers that need to be near them so that they can operate at roadway speed with existing latency to, or improve the latency numbers to also have that. So the data centers themselves are becoming smaller or distributed Meaning of electricity is their lifeline. Mm -hmm. That's 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 super helpful. So I, I want to ask each of you, and I'll start with Bonnie. You know what what are you what are you optimistic about in uh, you know in the clean energy and and a you know a future of dist of of uh, you know just a, a future distributed intelligent grid, and what you know what keeps you up at night? <laughs> a lot of things. Um, <laughs> Um, I think what I'm really positive about is we are continuing to see a lot of government support. Um, you're starting to see a lot more increases in renewable portfolio standards. You're seeing continued investment in the clean tech space. Um, and when you have policy and money moving towards a goal, that's usually a, a pretty strong um, benefit for you. And I think what we're seeing in particular is so much of the machine learning and the AI and I think what's really funny is um, in the energy space, we do a bad job of calling it that. Um, for example, the energy management system that Patheon has um, looks at all of the componentry that's, for example, if it's a, an industrial building, and it learns that at 8 a.m. all the lights go on and the forklifts start getting charged and something else happens, and it anticipates and is prepped and geared for that, and it knows how much it should store and when it shouldn't, um, and how does it support it from a, you know, a voltage perspective, a frequency perspective, how does it maintain power quality? And at the same point in time, how is it looking at the grid to then optimize and look at, well, can I provide grid services? Can I sell my power? Should I store my power? Um, oh, it's a moment where the price of power on the grid has jumped from, you know, $25 a megawatt hour to $800 a megawatt hour. Well, we should support the grid and we'll, we'll, we'll push power out of the battery. Um, but I think we do a bad job of talking about the AI and the machine learning that's going on in our technologies. Um, I think people kind of think it's going to magically be a robot or take over. But I, I, I think the ability to provide real-time, you know, sub-second or two-second response rates where things can correct and adjust um, are really enabling the mesh network, and we're, we're starting to look at that, um, and that's starting to be understood how all these distributed resources can be brought together um, to really support it, and we we joke a little bit at Pathion that uh, we'd like to make sure that we use all the possible rooftop space before we, um, you know, put up all the solar over the entire Mojave Desert, and how, how do we do a good job of balancing the shift to the new generation portfolio that we want while maintaining um, all, of, all of the best opportunities. Mm. Um, what keeps me up at night? Um, like I said, a lot of things. <laughs> um, we didn't talk about security. Of, of uh, yeah, I was going to say, cybersecurity is right up there with all of it, and we are very concerned about that. We are very integrated into that. Um, I think it's been a bit of a joke for those of us in the energy space that, um, to date, a lot of external hacking options or concerns um, were thwarted by the fact that um, I think 
the, the, the article I read in Forbes called it a, a spider network instead of a um, integrated central network like the UK or somewhere like that. And it's um, the fact that our grids don't talk to each other very well um, is all that has saved us from perhaps some larger uh, cascading impacts. So cybersecurity is, is well up there, um, in particular on the distributed side. How do you balance the cost? Um and at the same point in time, provide the appropriate level of security to be part of the critical infrastructure that supports people's lives. Um, so that, that, that's probably the biggest one that I think about, as well as how do we keep working and or incentivizing, figuring out how to incentivize utility structures to partner with the new technology um, in a way that's a, a win-win. I think you're starting to see some of that around non-wires alternatives where instead of doing some kind of a large grid upgrade or permanent infrastructure upgrade, instead there's a cost splitting mechanism between the utility and a technology play um, that allows to either postpone or completely uh, get rid of the need for a, a old school wire solution. And I think more opportunities like that need to be explored and, and presented. Yeah, and Trevor, what's, uh, what are you optimistic about and what, what worries you? I, you know, I'm optimistic about uh, the, the the thing that I truly see as being the most interesting piece is this uh, focus on, again, on, on sort of in real-time analytics and not in the sense that, oh, we have the data available, let's figure out what it says, in that we are learning something from it for the first time and realizing that it's there, right? This is a, a question that happens across sort of, you know, big data and people doing a digital transformation strategy or whatever you want to call it, right? It's, it's real easy nowadays to say, oh, if you're, you're really a data company. It doesn't matter what you do, but you're really a data company. And if you don't figure that out, you're going to be out of business in five years. Okay, what data do I have? And you're, you're getting insights that you didn't, weren't even aware that might be available to you. Um, so I think we're going to learn a lot of things and that, and that what we learn is going to be exponential. And because, as Bonnie pointed out, usually that data is locked up inside a utility or locked up inside a power generation asset owner, um, you know, it's now being liberated a little bit more. So we're going to, there's going to be a lot of things we're going to find out. Um, you know, there's a little company in San, I think in San Diego called Pisces that does that for, for microgrids, and now they're just starting to unlock the fact, like, oh, now we can tie more assets into a microgrid. Uh, it's not just this university campus. It's the 10 square blocks around the university campus. And then what stops that from being the whole city of San Diego if it wants to be, right, or whatever, right? So that, to me, is really interesting. The thing that keeps me up at night um, is, uh, again, is a little bit of uh, – I generally sleep pretty well about that but because I've seen how fast we can recover. But to the, your security point, I mean, if you – what was the scary report that came out of the, um, uh, the, the, the Metcalf substation issue out here um, where there was an attack on a substation in Silicon Valley? And I believe there was a Senate committee or subcommittee that said commission report, like, how, how, how weak is our grid? And the report came back that, hey, there's only three places in the world that manufacture this kind of transformer. And if you blew up one of them – and blew up these 11, whatever, I think it was like 11 or 13 substations across the United States where there's literally thousands of substations. But these critical ones, you could black out the United States for six months. Now, that should be terrifying for anybody to hear. Yeah. Uh, I honestly don't think that could happen. Even if that were to happen, right. um, I don't think it would be six months because we'd figure it out. But that kind of that kind of physical infrastructure challenge yeah. uh, to me is that it, – it, and you're seeing uh, this move of the power grid away from being – it was built as a generation-focused thing. In other words, oh, well, uh, Syracuse, New York has a auto plant. Therefore, you need a giant power plant here to do this. And the good news is people who live in Syracuse will always have power. Okay, well, when the auto plant goes away, who maintains the power plant? Does there need to be a power plant? Syracuse, uh, their population stays around 100,000. Meanwhile, New York City grows from 3 million to 10 million or whatever, right? Well, I need a power plant in New York. Well, real estate's real expensive there. Uh, you can't do that. That, that, like, 
the focus taking away from having built the power grid based on a generation thing, a generation centric to being consumer centric is going to be really fascinating to watch. Great. Well, the final, well, one, one question I have uh, to kind of to wrap things up is, is just any interesting startups or, or technologies that you're keeping your eyes on? I we'll think obviously with, oh, we're, oops, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Bonnie. Uh, we're we're obviously keeping an eye on different blockchain solutions and blockchain opportunities, um, and a lot of the the AI and machine learning. How can we continue to incorporate things in? Um, and I think the other thing we're really looking at are what are other um, really interesting and really new micro sources of generation. How do we start partnering and pairing? Um, uh, and I think you saw some of it, the small turbines in Chicago on buildings and things like that that perhaps were undervalued a couple years ago. Um, as we move to this more distributed network and the ability to tie all the smaller components in, um, I think you're going to start seeing a lot more micro components um, be more effective and or able to be partnered with AI or, you know, the small scale data centers that Trevor was talking about earlier that are going to support autonomous vehicles. Um, and I think it'll be a really neat opportunity um, that where they didn't have a marketplace to participate or to incorporate into. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of new different opportunities around that in particular. Great. And, and Trevor, any interesting uh, companies? Well, I, I mentioned, sure. Uh, I, I mentioned Pisces. Uh, the guys down in Southern California were doing that sort of uh, microgrid real-time analytics. Uh, I think companies like, um, I think it's called Electric Power, but it's Electric IQ Power. Uh, instead of IC at the end, it's IQ. But you're talking about a smart inverter and an analytics package. Mm -hmm. That's uh, that goes with rooftop solar. That idea uh, to me is like, okay, you've now moved the power management thing inside somebody's garage versus you know in a utilities headquarters somewhere, right? So to me, that that kind of thing will be interesting. Um, uh, and as these distributed, to Bonnie's point, as these distributed networks get built out, a lot of new technologies that maybe didn't have a place to work because they didn't have a um, you know a, a revenue recovery uh, thing that, that could make it, make it worth the investment um, like using waste heat uh, I've seen a couple like waste heat uh, concepts like hardware concepts well guess what those were great in, in data centers because data centers have waste heat they're actively trying to get rid of so if I can use that to regenerate electricity oh, it's a whole new market for them mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing yeah. Well, uh, the final question is uh, is uh, always one of my favorites, was it, which is a recommended resource or, or, or uh, whether it's a book or, or something else that you would uh, you could share for our listeners. Sure. So I'm reading. I, I got lucky enough to take classes with Robert Sapolsky, who's a professor at Stanford when I was there. Um, and he just came out with a new book called Behave. The biology of humans that are best and worst that talks about agency and stimuli and how does biology fit into our real world now. Um, one of his original books was Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Um, and I love that he takes very complex scientific ideas um, and translate it into a very dry humor um, that's very relevant to, to real life. But he always has fascinating things to say. Wow, that sounds really interesting. I'm, I'm gonna, I will definitely check that out. For me, honestly, I'll, I'll be a, maybe a little bit more, uh, even more philosophical on that. Uh, I'm reading uh, uh, The Island at the Center of the World, um, which is a story about how New Amsterdam became what is now New York. And for those of us who sit here and, and think about infrastructure, um, you know, it really is, it, it's obviously a really interesting history and a really interesting history of disparate groups trying to cobble together a community, a community, all, every time that happens, all of the choke points on the community, even 400 years ago or 500 years ago or a thousand years ago, the choke points of that are always infrastructure. And it, it, I read it with the eye of a guy who's, you know, been in the power business for the last, you know, 10, 12 years. Mm -hmm. You see how the same, the same issues always crop up with, uh, with the things, same things that limit growth. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting read to see that, oh, you know, 
There's nothing new under the sun sometimes. <laughs> well, that, no, it's fascinating. Just as somebody who, you know, braves the the, uh, the infrastructure, uh, the crumbling infrastructure in, in tunnel bridges and tunnels and <laughs> underground in New York with the a massive amount of construction that's been been going on over the past two years it's we, we're it's definitely creaking at the uh it's or it's bursting at the seams <laughs> and the uh the supports are creaking so but somehow we managed to muddle through but that's, uh anyway right. well, that, well that's great and and uh again Bonnie Lind, VP of Business Development for Patheon, and Trevor Kerwin, VP of Energy Markets for GreenSpark, have been our guests. Uh, this is Ed McGuire, uh, the Insights Partner at Momenta Partners, with another podcast. And I want to thank you both uh, for a, a really interesting podcast and, and uh, look forward to continuing our conversation again. Thanks so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners. So please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.